The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. And welcome to Actually Interesting, a podcast about artificial intelligence brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Russell Brown, and my Apple Music works a lot better than it used to. Well, to be specific, one particular feature does, the favourites mix. For years, I've been letting iTunes send something called Genius Data, basically everything I played, to Apple. To be frank, I haven't really known what Apple did with it. I just rolled my own playlists. But a few months ago, Apple Music took a decisive turn towards data-driven recommendations. The company that's always preached the virtue of human curation handed the phone to the algorithm. And in the case of the favourites mix, the algorithm is killing it. Everything on it is something I've hammered for a while, sometime in the last decade or so, and then probably forgotten. And it's all here. There are deep cuts. It's nicely themed. One week I'm Indie Dad, the next week I'm Disco Dad. It knows me so well. This is really just Apple admitting that maybe Spotify has it right after all, but it underlines the power of the aspect of AI we see most of in popular culture, the recommendation algorithm. That science is getting serious in 2019, and its new face is TikTok, the micro-video platform that helped make Old Town Road ginormous. It's one of a dozen products made by the Chinese company ByteDance that are basically branded AI recommendation engines. And it's really, really effective. As The New Yorker put it this year, some social algorithms are like bossy waiters. They solicit your preferences and then recommend a menu. TikTok orders you dinner by watching you look at food. But what's it mean, where's it going, and how does it work, anyway? First in this episode, I'm joined by John Swartz, founder of the Christchurch-based AI company, Forth. John, I guess we could start with the mechanics of recommendation algorithms. What's going on under the hood here? How, how does it work? So there are essentially two components to it. So firstly, there are algorithmic models, um, which most of the applications and companies use just machine learning algorithms, mostly supervised learning. Um, and But there's been a phenomenon over the last couple of years over how they um, augment those algorithmic models. So essentially, just to explain it very simply, so um, when I've got a huge amount of data and you need a huge amount of data in order to apply machine learning effectively, you can actually look at different instances of a specific model and look at the prediction, the accuracy of a prediction of those specific algorithmic models and build different bots. Now, what you then do is you, you use a sort of evolutionary process by which you select the bots that predict that's got the most predictive validity, 
you then utilize that as your basis. You introduce, like in evolution, um, random mutations into that algorithm, which neither you or the bot or anyone else knows what the outcome of that would be. You run it again and then see again from a new sort of uh, algorithmic models, what are the best predictors. Now, if you do that in iterations of millions and millions of different iterations, you end up with actually an algorithmic model that neither the creator nor anyone else knows how it exactly works. You just know it works. And, and the, the point, that's an important point there about, uh, about needing lots and lots of data. Uh, that's, that's the kind of virtual circle here, isn't it? That companies like ByteDance and, and Google and Facebook, for that matter, can do this at a high level because they have so, many, so much data about so many people. Yeah, absolutely. So the richness of our data is important as well as just the sheer volume of our data. And then you and they so you would for instance find that a lot of these companies buy up other companies that to us might seem it seem that it's not necessarily related. So TikTok would would for instance collaborate or buy up or the shareholders would buy up a company that is in music or in other social media, whatever case might be. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to build the extent of those networks and, and build neural networks. So essentially the difference is now I understand and let's say I utilize this algorithmic model to to recognize patterns or images or natural language recognition, etc. because it can do all of those different things. And I can then link that through neural networks with other data points. And now I can draw different conclusions. So I can, for instance, draw that in this image, I can see your body language. Based on that body language, I can glean whether you are in a certain mood. I can also then take the actual language that you use, analyze those words, glean the same mood characteristics and then see what you liked or what you didn't like or the music in the background. Now if I add these three different components, I then can predict much better what type of mood you are in or what type of content you would like than just taking one of these elements. That, that's actually a really fascinating point that, that an acquisition might be made not just on the basis of the IP the company has or the revenue the company has, but the data it holds. Yeah, absolutely. So traditionally, we would think that, you know, you take your PE ratio, take your bottom line, multiply by whatever ratio and match the value of a company. In these cases, if you buy essentially data and richness of a data, and some companies buy, um, already have data, and they acquire a company for the complexity of that algorithmic model. And again, like I said before, they might not even know what that algorithmic model has evolved to over time or the, the augmentation of that. Um, and some of these companies don't make profit and some of them never intend to make any profit because it's not about necessarily the bottom line. It's about what you can add to the, to the ecosystem. In terms of recommendations and the whole thing of, of, of what these companies show us next, um, what are they seeking to achieve in, in, in doing that? So, uh, obviously, in recommendations, it's all around that predictive model. And there are two components to predictive models. So, the one is understanding why, which they can't do and they're not really interested in. Um, and that would be the counter trend. So, for instance, where we focus on is understanding the why because we know that's what they, they can't, can't do. And they're more interested in, in they don't really care about why. I click on a certain thing, they just want to understand that if I click on this specific thing, 
I would like this specific product. So a lot of the marketing revenue is, is obviously a big component of it um, and being able to cross-sell, on-sell um, different products or whatever the case might be. So so in order to for me to be able to rec- recommend content for you, so let's say as an example, I click on TikTok is a good example. I click on certain videos. It recommends something that I that the algorithm thinks I would like. Now, the more accurate that becomes, and it's easy to measure because if I could recommend 10 things and I ignore nine and click on one, the next time I ignore five and I click on five, but obviously the algorithm realized that I'm getting better at that recommendation. The only thing that it tells us in the background is that we are starting to understand you better. And the better I understand you, the more accurate I can market things to you, the more accurate I can segment the customer base, and obviously I can sell that uh, to, to anyone that's got a product to sell. And that's interesting too, because that's it, you're talking about it understanding us mm-hmm. rather than understanding the content that, it, that it's actually um, putting in front of us. Yeah, so it's important to understand that if you, if you download an app and it's for free, you are not the customer, you have a product. Um, so there's, it, it, it's, it's not a secret that all of these different platforms, you are the product that they are selling. So they're selling either marketing sort of attention to you, space to you, and in some cases, whether it is uh, clandestine or not, they're selling your data. Um, so you are the product and they are trying to test whether they understand you and have profiled and segmented you correctly. And the more, like I said, if they recommend, if let's say you listen to a music video, they recommend a, a video clip to you or they recommend certain content to you or they recommend a friend request to you. All of those different things, once you click on and accept it, they then learn about your profile. And that just, just increases their ability to, to obviously market and sell to you. Now, I've, I've been reading about TikTok and AI all year, and the, the recent New Yorker story was absolutely fascinating. I thought that was, that was yeah, quite enlightening. Is TikTok, <coughs> though, doing, actually doing anything different than, than everyone else? Is it doing something special? Fundamentally, no. Um, it is, what it is doing well um, is, it, is, is potentially the, the, the richness of its data. Um, so and let me just unpack that a little bit. So you have companies that analyze your body language, analyze obviously facial recognition, all those type of things, and then try to glean from that, even to the extent of things like not just mood, but your psychological profile. Now, if you match that with natural language recognition, so I'm, I now analyze your body language, I anal- analyze the words that you use and how you use those words, and... How do I know that I'm analyzing correct? Because I can see the comments. So the comments reinforce my, my or the machine's uh, initial uh, thoughts or recommendations around what your profile is, and those comments reinforce it, then obviously that's, that's more information. So the, the, the thing that they've done well is, is a couple of things. So firstly, they're lucky, and I think... Any company that that launches out of China or India or these these economies, not just it, it's not just a big economy. They've got a huge population. Now, why that why is that important? It's a huge amount of data. So I think they've got more than six hundred million users and very active users that actively post things and um, and have clips where they do certain things. So being able to to link those those elements to things like 
Um, I think the thing that they've done differently from others, again, not different algorithmic models, but analyzing music components and uh, analyzing sort of the beat and the mood and the tone of a specific music uh, components. Um, so that they've certainly done well. Algorithmic models is exactly the same. Like I say, it would be unique to them because every time they analyze the data and they apply this evolutionary process, they will have a sort of unique spin on the same algorithms. But the algorithm model would have been different. Um, I think the, the potentially the last thing that they were able to, to get right and the technology helped them in that is the quality of the, the, uh, the videos and the clips, et cetera. Helps them analyze that potentially better than if I just load a you know sort of weak resolution image onto Facebook or David Casper. Uh, I, I guess one one thing that that did strike me is they're not just uh, looking at what we watch and what we like and or even what we share, but also the memeability of these clips. The fact that that other people then go on and build something on top of them, on top of that original idea. That seems to be quite important to TikTok. Absolutely. Why? Because because obviously the, the better those videos are and the more they train, the more user activity you get, et cetera, et cetera. Because that's essentially what they, it's not their product because they don't make money out of it, but that's what they utilize to lure in their product, which is the general public. So, um, and, and being able to analyze that um, is not just important for that purpose, it's also important for their own purpose and being able to sell that information onto marketing and journalism uh, sort of industry um, by understanding, because today, if you are able to post something and you get a couple of million views, that is massively valuable to a company or, or, or a specific individual. And they analyze everything about it. They analyze color, they analyze tone, they analyze beat, they analyze how long the minutes or the seconds these days spent on it. They analyze the type of audience, the demographics of the individuals, and who and what individuals' uh, demographics apply to um, in combination with what content and what colors, et cetera, et cetera, appeal to, to certain things. Now, that analysis around, again, 600 million users, that is massively valuable for anyone that wants to market anything, including themselves. Uh, one thing that fascinated me was that the AI applies at the other side of the process as well for the, the content creators. Um, it, it appears that it will present tools in the way that works best for you. They analyze how... Um, you're you're actually using their video crea creation tools. Absolutely. So using that uh, analytics that I just spoke about, it can recommend and it can obviously uh, for individual in order to create something that's more likely to train. Now, like we've seen it's similar results in the stock exchange a, a couple of years ago, a decade ago, where as soon as you start using these algorithms to create content that you think we're going to, to trend, that market is going to become more and more competitive, which means it's going to become more and more difficult to trend because everyone is using the same algorithmic models, like in the stock exchange now, half the stock exchange is run by algorithmic models rather than individuals you know, applying fundamental analysis to buy something. So, so that will become at some point a saturated uh, market uh, because everyone's got access to these analytics in some point in the future to be able to, to understand what will trend to what audience and what will apply to it. So I think there's, there's potentially a cap to, to the value of that because once everyone has access to it and everyone uses it. 
Um, it's not a differentiator more. Like I said, uh, trading companies, algorithmic models, it's not a differentiator. Everyone has to have it. Mm. Um, now, ByteDance, who own TikTok, have actually have an AI research lab website, which doesn't tell you a whole lot, but it does suggest to me that they're not just looking at machine learning, they're looking at all forms of AI and consider it quite central. I mean, they're, they're working on things like computer vision, for example. So do you, it, it seems like it's becoming quite important to these companies. It's, I think it's more, I think calling it quite important is potentially <laughs> understatement. I yeah. think it is, it's a means of survival, literally without, without artificial intelligence. And if I say artificial intelligence, most of the stuff on that research lab would still be related to machine learning, just applying machine learning to natural language recognition or applying machine learning to image recognition or applying machine learning to um, to recognizing patterns, et cetera, on the one side, and the other side, then being able to create something that feeds into this, this trend. Uh, and that combined with civil sort of computer visualization is a good example um, of the quality of the data. So the more your iPhones and your other devices, the quality of the data is very important because the better that quality is and better you can recognize that image, obviously, and the voice, the, the, the better um, you can analyze it and apply machine learning. Um, so, so, so what I would look at that, that research uh, lab sort of website, basically what I get from it is that they apply all these things that we know exist already, and all the major tech companies have built these things. They have just integrated it really well and used it really well in their space, but it's not new technology. Hmm. Um, now, one thing that really interests me is that um, ByteDance's competitor, Tencent, um, which owns WeChat, and, and is actually, I think, bigger than most people realise, uh, is in the process of buying 10% of Universal Music, the world's largest record company. It clearly sees um, you know, business advantage there. Are we entering uh, a new era for entertainment industries and, and music in particular with AI? Absolutely. So it's it's not just um, where we spoke about just now is is that um, the machine will be able, or these algorithmic models would be able to recommend and analyze what type of content will appeal to to what audience and how do you get more views. It will start creating that content autonomously. So essentially, what it means is that certain content pieces um, would be created by the machine in order to trend on the machine, and it's got algorithmic models that, again, neither one of us would understand, not even the creator of it, but we know it works, and we know it will trend. So at some point in time, um, the machine will become better at entertaining people than other people would um, in this segment. Now, the impact on the industry is to think what is the counter trend, because there's always a counter trend to look at. The more there are these content pieces out there that are for, <laughs> so obviously if I look at, at, at TikTok, it seems like meaningless entertainment, but the more there are these pieces out there and the machine is able to replicate that or take different sources, like you just said, they buy stake in uh, music businesses, et cetera, et cetera. They, match, they can match a certain beat or music to a certain image and create something that the recipe says it should trend. And again, if I've done it 700 or 600 million times, they will get it bright better than I would or any individual. So, so, but what the counter trend is, is, is things like this conversation. 
So um, these type of content pieces where, ha where you have a human intuition, judgment, etc., that's something machine learning won't get uh, to any time. And we don't know whether we're keeping to the recipe. Are, are, we, are we delivering uh, algorithmically optimized content here, John? I'm not sure if we are. <laughs> well, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dead sure we won't, you know, um, reach millions of people because it's not that entertaining. But for the individuals that would listen to this, um, would, would be able to recognize the difference between this conversation and something that is put together without any judgment or human intuition or real sort of uh, critical thinking just to get necessary hits and, and, and sort of, uh, yeah, and just to entertain for, for no real reason. What do you think the implications are for, for people who um, produce content, who are artists, who work in content industries? So I think the essentially you've got um, if if your organisation that that looks that is in the specific industry you've essentially got three different options. So you can either try and and follow a trend and beat them at their game. If I say they we, the, the big companies that we spoke about, which is for for most sort of New Zealand uh, businesses and individuals that's unrealistic because they literally spend billion dollars. Never mind, you know, um, an affordable budget in order to generate this mass amount of data and algorithmic models, and they acquire different companies. And you'll see that because, and what we said um, earlier around the richness of data, different data sources and what might seem to us as unrelated data sources, the algorithmic model would run those correlations. Because that's economies of scale business, you'll see. A um, that obviously the bigger businesses will do better, better, better. So essentially, what you have to look at so that that is not a realistic um, sort of option for most companies or, or individuals. The the option that you do have is today you can plug into an API and you can use um, sort of these IT platforms and you can get access to these algorithmic models. But again, your data is a problem. You don't have enough data, but you can try and replicate what they've done also in the world and create a New Zealand version of that and try and sort of um, and, uh, gain a success in that way. But for most individuals, it, I think the important thing is to focus on what the machine can't do. And what the machine can't do at the moment is have, in, from a specifically journalistic perspective, let's, and let's say use the Rugby World Cup as an example, if you want to create a clip or an article around what's my opinion about uh, Saturday's game, you can easily see a trend in the future where literally everyone on the street and you've got a couple of hundred thousand people, everyone submitting their prediction. Right? So what is the point in your prediction? Now, it might be that I have a credible source. It's an ex-coach or ex-player and people want to know my opinion as a credible source even if my opinion is exactly the same as a thousand other people, they want to hear it from me. So it's either you're selling your as an individual and your credibility, or you sell your judgment, your analysis, etc. So I think journalistic pieces that do a lot of work and a lot of insight and, and really rigorous um, journalistic work, I think will become more and more important. So there has been a trend that that almost sort of started to die out a little bit, because there was so much noise, 
I think there will be a climate trend in going back to that because you, you listen or read to 100 articles and you don't get real insight. So you're going to latch onto that one individual that really does, does a good piece of work. And that the machine can't do. Is there a dimension of maybe saying, oh, wait, forget uh, what the individual audience member wants because there'll come a time when the, when the algorithm will be able to know and do that better than we could and just concentrate on, on what you want to say and what you're doing? Absolutely. That's the counter trend. Because if, if I go, and let's use the, the rugby as an example again, if I really do a, a proper job in analyzing the different teams and the trends, et cetera, and I write that piece, because it's a, that is the best analysis that I can write as an expert in this, this area, you'll get your audience. And you'll get individuals. It might not capture the whole market, but you'll get those individuals that the next time only really goes to you because they know you're doing a really good job. So trying to trying to predict what people would like in the future, that is not going to be a differentiator because the machine will be able to do that better. Doing a, a, a job that a human can do, applying judgment, intuition, uh, conceptual uh, thinking into your work and judgment, that is something that, uh, that will become more and more important because, again, in the future... Uh, and today, it's not about, in the past, 40 years ago, it was about access to information. Now it's, it's the ability to sift through the millions and millions of pieces of information that is, is all saying the same things and largely just, just junk uh, thrown in your direction and segregating that versus that one piece of information that you really need. So uh, if we're talking music, what about DJs? Will DJs still exist in the future? Well, mainstream DJs shouldn't exist because, again, your machine learning algorithms can take millions and millions of music pieces and combine it in a way that matches the mood that you want to create. So you can literally go into a machine, create, like select the, the mood that you want to create and the audience that you have, and it will do that better than any DJ or average DJ should um, be able to do. But again, what will exist is the counter trend, and that will center around two things. Either I'm going to see a celebrity DJ, that specific individual, I'm a fan, I'm going to watch him do this, or um, a more traditional approach, I want to see an individual in a little bar on his vinyl and, and the traditional sort of art of, of DJ. I'm pleased to hear there's some hope for me and my journalistic and musical friends. Hey, John Swartz, thank you. That was actually really fascinating. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you, John. Joining me now is Andy Lowe, the general manager of DRM Limited, the country's largest digital music distributor. DRM represents a catalogue of more than 50,000 songs by thousands of artists, and Andy's job revolves around getting those songs placed, noticed, and heard. And a lot of that these days is about data. Oh, Andy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, now, we hear a lot about data being crucial in the modern business of music, but what's that mean in practice? Uh, depends on if you're an artist or a manager or a distributor. Um, the, the data can be used all different types of ways. So, you know, from the perspective where we sit in things as a distributor, we're looking at, um, you know, how much uh, the tracks are being listened to. Obviously, that quantity of streams and downloads is very important to us. But I think for the artists and managers that are reviewing the data that's available to them, what can be especially interesting is things around demographic and territories and locations. Um, and depending on the platform you're on, you can also get 
information about retention, how long something's been listened to or viewed. Um, you know, there's just so much different analytics now available from the streaming platforms, social media sites, uh, YouTube, you know, all of these different places provide different types of data. And if you're somebody that wants to know more about how your material is being engaged with, um, looking at that data or that analytics, not that it sounds all that exciting, can actually be very interesting into, you know, discovering your audience's patterns, behaviors, what their interests are. Yeah, I, I hear people in the music business um, talking about active versus passive streams and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of different listening experiences now, especially in the world of streaming, where there is um, a lot of people engaging with playlists to discover or just enjoy music in general. And um, for certain types of listening experiences, that's going to be very proactive or engaged. And if you're a you know, a fan of a specific genre of music, and you may seek out a playlist specializing in that genre, you're going to be a bit more active. You know, you're going to like certain tracks, and you're going to listen to them longer. You're going to not like certain tracks and be inclined to skip them a bit quicker. And, um, you know, these types of um, different engagements and the types of activity that can happen, if somebody likes a track and then they save it to their library, or they go and they follow the artist's profile, or they go and they listen to more material, all that type of stuff has different... Um, you know, metrics and weights behind it. And I think this is the kind of information that's especially helpful for uh, the digital platforms to see is something performing well. Um, you know, are people engaging with this to a greater degree? Are they actively pro, you know, proactively seeking more from that same artist? So that kind of stuff can hold, uh, you know, a different weight to it. Uh, and, and it's interesting for, for you as a digital distributor, when you're looking to place a song, you're not necessarily looking to, to place it in some sort of conventional uh, hit process or, or online radio, it, it might be this will go well in nighttime study beats. Well, we're definitely, you know, we distribute so much music of so many different styles and genres. We're always looking at it from different angles, which is sometimes in a very commercial type of space, and then sometimes it is in a more, um, you know, chilled kind of space where it is maybe something pe people want to listen to in the background or while they're, you know, washing the dishes or whatever. <laughs> so there's all different types of listening experiences. So we're sort of listening to the music that comes through to us, um, you know, with, with different perspectives. Where may this fit well? We want to try to help the music that we distribute reach that widest audience possible. And, um, you know, we're always listening to it from different perspectives. Uh, how many of the playlists that you would be looking to place songs on are human-generated and how many are algorithmic? Well, presently, there's more that are, you know, going through human curation than ones that are strictly algorithmic. Um, but there is a combination of both. And there is also a combination of the two, you know, in a single playlist, which is called algatorial. So there are, you know, playlists that are partially uh, curated and partially fed by, you know, machine learning. Is it the case that you have to think not is this what the audience will like, but is this what the algorithm likes? Well, it, it depends on the platform because every different uh, platform that's out there has different types of algorithms and how they serve content to their users. I mean, I think what's happening in uh, the streaming music platforms with their playlisting real estate is likely fairly different than what's happening on YouTube in an audio and visual type of space. And, you know, we are doing our best to understand how these algorithms work. Um, you know, to get a better gauge of what's likely to be effective in these spaces. But, you know, having watched these platforms grow and develop and studied these things over the years now, we, you know, getting a gauge of how it works, but then it, it all changes so rapidly that, you know, you're just kind of constantly um, trying to, you know, read this endless book that never stops. So it's an absolutely fascinating space. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people that 
do get get different ideas of um, different spa different ways of being effective to feed the algorithm. Um, but the algorithm isn't just one thing. It's you know it's many different things combined, or many different types of uh, you know AI looking at things from different angles. So uh, it's feeding feeding the algorithm is something that we do to some degree, but isn't you know the primary uh, motive for you know releasing or, or pushing music. Um, are you looking much at TikTok yet? I mean, because there's been a, there's been a handful of New Zealand artists who've had sort of TikTok hits, Theo being one of them. Yeah, um, I mean, that was a track that um, we helped to distribute internationally, and it was wonderful to see that it got some 30-plus thousand shares on TikTok. And it's a platform that I think more people should be looking at locally, especially. It does have an absolutely massive reach. Um, the What we do is we deliver the music to the back end of TikTok, so it's actually able to be used in people's uh, you know uploads and things on that platform. And, you know, in the special cases where there's somebody that's more proactive there and already engaged in that platform and doing challenges and things where that music does especially uh, work well in that platform, we are flagging the odd thing with them for their consideration to see if there's somewhere that it can be uh, highlighted. So I would say that isn't the um, norm just yet. It's not kind of taken off like wildfire with all the artists that we work with just yet, but um, that platform is gaining in popularity very quickly. And uh, if anybody's inclined to utilize it and do it well, you know, it's certainly a space that we encourage. But it is starting to become a thing, listening to a song and, and thinking that 15 seconds there could be killer on TikTok. I think that that's probably something that a lot of people are doing, but we are still, you know, the way that we engage with music is from many different perspectives and many different angles. And so if it's something that um, we feel could be effective there, that's something we may look at. Uh, highlighting, but DRM as a distributor isn't always leading the charge and the rollout plans and things of that nature. People usually come to us with the finished material and their plans and what they're doing around the rollout of a release to draw attention to it. If that includes a, you know, an active social media rollout or campaigns that include visuals and TikTok as part of that, that's definitely great for us to know about, but we're not going and telling people, hey, you need to do this and you need to be thinking about TikTok. Um, it's up to each artist to really you know, determine what's the right fit for them. Some people are very comfortable in front of a camera and, and filming, filming themselves and doing challenges and interacting with their social media audience very directly. If that's the case, fantastic, get involved. That's the right type of like, you know, personality type to probably do well in that type of platform. For those that are maybe a bit more reserved, it might not be the right fit or some other level of creativity may need to be involved. Um, uh, a company called Tencent, um, which owns WeChat and various other companies, uh, is in the process of buying 10% of the world's largest record label, Universal Music. Do you have any idea why they're doing that? What do they see as attractive in, in, in the music business? Uh, I, I can't speak on their behalf. I don't know their intentions specifically, but I would imagine as they um, you know, own... Uh, levels of streaming platforms themselves, having a large music catalog would likely be advantageous. Um, any further specifics around that? I probably couldn't say. Uh, we're talking about companies that know a lot about us, hold a lot of data about us, uh, to the point where, and this is the basis of recommendation algorithms, as I said at the top, they can predict the music we want to hear. Andy, do you think it's likely that AI systems will move on from just being the robot DJ and actually produce the music that is exactly what we want to hear? 
Um, I mean, I would imagine that's the sort of logical extension of where this technology would all lead to if it hasn't already. Um, I mean, there's certain patterns and, and structural formulas that we see in certain genres of music that would be, you know, I would imagine something that would be programmable for uh, artificial intelligence to learn how to make. And, you know, with studying what's been effective over the last you know, 12, 18 months, you know, pulling all these different metrics and BPMs and everything else that there is around, you know, the data points of the song and reconstructing things that, you know, should be pleasing. I, w I would say, though, just from that, if you're just going to be constructing music from a automatic method, it's likely to lose that creative flair that really can make music so special and exciting. So, it, you know, even if there is AI making music that's, you know, just ticks certain boxes for certain types of listening experiences. That doesn't mean that, to me, I don't think that that's a threat of taking over music, uh, you know, as a whole. I think that, you know, the envelope pushing is what brings us to new artists and brings new styles to, you know, the forefront. So I would imagine that there will definitely be a space for, uh, you know, that <laughs> human creative element to continue to thrive. Yeah, I, I can imagine AI-generated music, say, in, you know, your workout playlist or your chill-out playlist. Do you think that's, that's where it's more likely to turn up? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I imagine it could fit in a lot of different spaces, and, and those spaces that you've referenced and more would likely, you know, especially instrumental music where it's not necessarily requiring a vocal would probably be more likely to be automatically generated. Sure. How do you think that changes the business of being uh, a record company or, or even an artist? Well, it, it creates a different type of competition, I'd imagine, for, especially for artists in the field that AI-generated music may be surfacing in. It, you know, you're, you're competing against potentially something that's, you know, a, a very strong study in what works well. So, I mean, this is a bit of speculation, but I imagine that, you know, some genres may be affected more than others. I, I was talking in that earlier interview about the power implicit in having a lot of data about a lot of users. Do you think that, do, does that somehow change the balance of what's going on in music, that, that there are these parties that actually know a hell of a lot about the consumers of music and want to sell them things? Well, I mean, possibly, but there's always been research, you know, done into what the audience's interests are, going back to, you know, the first mediums of broadcast. So... In a lot of ways, it's sort of the same story, but I, I mean, it, it will certainly be interesting to see how things unfold. This is early days for how all this impacts our industry, and um, it is something we're watching closely. Is the answer still going to be just make the music you want? Um, from an independent distributor's perspective, absolutely. You know, we represent emerging artists, established artists, all, all the artists that are making this music because they love to, they want to, they need to. You know, this is the types of creative talents that we want to see thrive. And regardless of what AI may be doing in the music space, artists should absolutely just carry on making the music they want to make. Andy Lowe, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Andy. Thanks also to Microsoft, the spin-off, and to Tina Tiller on production. If you like this podcast, you might also dig my other one, The Internet of Awesome Things, which is all about the Internet of Things with the help of Spark. Just Google Internet of Awesome Things and an algorithm will be right along to show you the way. And that's all for Actually Interesting this time. Catch you again soon. Talk. 
Falafel for Lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. Kia ora e te iwi, Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.